We are all here together to be able to do a job and to serve customers and serve the organization. And so there's got to be a balance as well between each of our of our workforces, you know, strongly held feelings and positions and the the task that we're all here to do. And those organizations that flex too strongly one way or the other tend to struggle. The ones who can find that balance uh, are the ones that seem to be thriving the best right now. If there is one thing that we have learned over the last 10 or 15 years, it's that you have to approach the employee as a whole human being. And that whole human being has not just work needs and, and goals and objectives that they're trying to reach, but also has a need to be able to connect with other people within the organization on a, on a deeper level. Today was a special treat for me. I had a chance to catch up with Kevin Olp, one-time DWG member turned fellow DWG colleague. Kevin is a DWG research author and lead strategy consultant working with a variety of members day to day. This is actually Kevin's third visit to the Digital Workplace Impact Podcast Studio. The first two centered around member research related to accelerating adoption in the digital workplace in addition to intelligent digital assistance. And Kevin dropped in today for a chat to help us unbox the latest research that he's authored for DWG members. And it's looking at enterprise social networking as an evolution. It's an exploration of intranet 2.0 a decade and a half on felt a little bit like a back to the future moment because we looked back in order to think about what's needed next. And so the conversation explores what happened to enterprise social networks a decade and a half on from the dawn of enterprise 2.0. And this report is one that looks at how ESN, as uh, they're known for short, has been adopted or not by organizations, the extent to which they've changed how we work and converse with each other, and of course, how they've continued to evolve, and even a few crystal ball moments looking into the future. And so, this conversation really uh, digs into what early expectations have been realized, what barriers have crept in along the way, including some recent challenges. And taking that step back to view progress in this area really does furnish practitioners with some salient learnings and advice for creating and sustaining thriving enterprise social networks going into the future. Join me now in conversation with Kevin Olp. This is Nancy Goble, your host. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by Digital Workplace Group. And as always, happy listening. Roads. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. So, Kevin... Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Impact Podcast Studio. Am I right in thinking that this is your third guest spot? It is. I'm starting to feel like this seat is is very familiar to me. Thank you so much for having me back again. <laughs> and just for our wider listening base, by memory, I'm thinking that 
you've shared two research spotlights um, from our member research program, reports that you've authored around accelerating adoption and intelligent digital assistance. Have I got that right? You've got that right. Absolutely. This one was a lot different than the other two, though. So do tell. What's the title? And give us the insider perspective on what inspired this paper. So the title is Internet 2.0 and Enterprise Social Networks, How They've Changed the Way We Work. And what makes them different from the other papers that I've done uh, with Digital Workplace Group is that it is more of a retrospective looking back in history. So much of what we do at Digital Workplace Group looks forward Uh, But the inspiration behind this particular idea was that back around 2008, the introduction of enterprise social networks into the traditional network was such a seminal moment and a, a change in how digital workplaces looked and felt that we felt it, it makes sense, made sense to look back to 2008 and take a look at what's happened since then and what the ultimate impact on that has been on digital workplaces in general, but more more broadly on the way that we do work today. Uh, so very different from the other uh, research papers that I've had an opportunity to participate in. I think that's quite an interesting way to look at this slice of the digital workplace. I can tell you enterprise social networking is having quite the resurgence among members and our wider circles, not only because of the swirl in uh, the land of Microsoft around Yammer, then the announcement of Microsoft Engage. So on a technological level, there was a spotlight moment uh, that's continued into uh, the new year. Also, we saw that quite a lot of member organizations gave a great deal of focus around Microsoft Teams and neglected the enterprise social arena. So we saw a level of refocus and repurposing of enterprise social as part of the wider employee engagement strategy, calling it a a space to have enterprise conversation and I'd say in some sense, moving away from the term social networking in a a way in that context. And then, of course, there's some organizations that have multiple platforms in play and are trying to do some sense making about whether to leave those things intact, rationalize and focus. And then also there were some cases where there were very mature Yammer practices and enterprise social networking in some organizations, and then teams shook things up and people were trying to refocus and repurpose. So those are are just a couple of scenarios that have come up in the past year. So I guess, is there a, a deeper sense of the why now with all of that in mind? Well, I think, I think that one of the things that Microsoft does so well is that they are are so good at anticipating and responding to the moment and what's happening. And so Teams came into came into really its own at a time during the pandemic when we all needed to figure out a way to get our work done. Just the very basics of being able to still 
get to meetings, still be able to collaborate on documents and be able to get things done. And so if you think about the journey that we've been on, that really is is what's inspiring and driving a lot of what we're seeing right now in this phase two. So we started all together. You know, for years as digital workplace professionals, we we have been trumpeting the the cause of being able to enable people to work from wherever they are, whatever time that they are in. But we were all together and it was very difficult to move that needle. Then came the pandemic. And suddenly, instead of being all together, we were looking and finding ways to be alone together, right? And and Microsoft Teams played a really big role in making that happen. And to be honest, at that point, everyone was seeking just to keep their head above water weren't thinking about some of the cultural, some of the some of the interpersonal social things that happen at work in order to be able to really make work hum. Now that we are coming back together, either in a hybrid format or in some organizations, everyone back to the office, we're, we're looking to bring the best of what we learned while we were al- out there alone um, back to the organization. And one of the things that is now the thing that's capturing everyone's attention, particularly at the organizations that I talk to, is how do you how do you rebuild, reimagine, and maintain those cultural aspects of who you are for your work base? And so, when you're when you're thinking about that, what uh, you know what was previously known as enterprise social networks and and now is just being seen as as being together both digitally and also in person, is starting to take the forefront. Mm. And I think the other thing that comes to mind for me, Kevin, is that there's a whole cadre of people who weren't impacted in the same way by going through pandemic to endemic. And of course, that's the front line, whether those are people who were in trucks, in plant facilities, Individuals who are delivering healthcare services, mm-hmm. you know, in hospitals and and the healthcare system, and all the rest. And so, you know, for them, the way conversations need to happen um, has evolved, but they aren't necessarily directly impacted by the return to office or the tug of war, per se, between employers and employees about how to manage that and and how to um, juggle this this hybrid workplace um, that you were talking about as well. So lots of different scenarios. And of course, I'm really keen to start to really now peel back the cover of the report, literally yep. and figuratively, and talk about the significance of Intranet 2.0 in the evolution of enterprise social networking. Well, it's this This is where this paper became very, very interesting and fun because it took us back 14 years. Uh, there's a story in the paper in 2008 that's actually one of my personal stories at the time director in communications, a large financial services firm. And I was called into my boss's office and he he loved to whiteboard. And what we were whiteboarding that day, I'll bet you we whiteboarded a dozen things throughout my career there. Most of them I have no memory of whatsoever. This one (laughs) I remember to this day because it was around uh, at the time 
some of the some of the enterprise social networking tools that were becoming prevalent. Uh, so everything from RSS feeds at the time to Yammer and the predecessors of Slack and some of those other some of those other tools starting to become a part of our culture at that organization. And the senses of loss of control, the senses of, of uncertainty and how, as a communications organization, we were going to be able to get our messaging out. And just the fears at the time of, of how you know, these platforms would be used for things other than what we would like people to be doing at work. Right. Uh, remember the remember the whole fears around cat pictures, and uh, and you know people talking about things that were perhaps sensitive and and were scary to us in organizational leadership at the time. That's that's the beginning of this of this path. At the time, intranets were really repositories of information, places where people went to be able to find a document or maybe to be able to find out what the lunch menu was that day. By the time we came to the end of this first phase of this evolution, intranets had taken big steps towards becoming digital workplaces, which is, uh, which was, is really in our work that we all do together and all the people that are listening here is significant because it, it really started to shape the landscape of, of what we do today intranets not just as a place where we go to uh, find a document but digital workplaces that truly uh, drive every every thread of the fabric of our daily work from the meetings we attend to the offline conversations that we have to still being able to find what we need in a timely manner uh, when we need it i'm just um drawing a parallel here for a moment with uh, a book I had read some years back. And the headline of the book was, Are You a Worrier or a Warrior? And when I think about that moment in history, the history of intranets or Intranet 2.0 at the time and digital workplaces, we saw very much a split. And there were the warriors and there were the warriors. And I'm thinking about an example of one large-scale hardware store that put themselves very quickly in the warrior camp and used the idea of enterprise social as a space um, to lean into the fear of the cat pictures. And in their case, it was the story of people who wanted to be able to find each other because they had an affinity, affinity for you know, all the zombie films and the different zombie cons and things like that that were very much in vogue at the time and wanted employees to be able to connect with each other with the thought that in retail, you often have such high attrition. So if they could offer a space for people to feel a sense of community and connection that was social in nature, that might very well help with retention. And in their case, they saw that to be the case. And there was almost this maturity curve that followed that then went from the social interactions where people were testing the muscle of enterprise social to then the work applications and how additional products were sold. So I'm really curious to you know dig into some of the uh, the deeper understandings that you pulled out as part of this research. Well, that's that's so 
insightful that you bring that specific piece up because when you look at the pieces that were added beginning in the mid 2000s um it were the it, they were the pieces that really started to deal with digital workplace as it can influence culture and and how people experience the organization so in the case of of the of the of the major firm that you're talking about really what you were seeing is you were seeing them looking at a very, very tangible, measurable business metric retention and how they could utilize uh, the, the enterprise social environment to be able to uh, impact that in a positive way, right? So it's a business metric, but it's a very, very soft kind of cultural thing that they were looking at doing, creating a, a place where people felt like they had they had peers that understood them, they had uh, other people that were interested in the same thing that they're that they're interested in, and organizations, as you know today, are still wrestling with that. Uh, I'll tell another story from one of our from one of our case studies within the within the the research paper. Uh, it was Chris Chris Hare over at Comcast shared the story uh, in their call centers. Their call centers, like with most firms of their nature, are big, large, warehouse-sized call centers. Lots of people, lots of interaction, lots of competition amongst teams, lots of helping each other. And when they went remote, one of the things that, that was their big worry was team chemistry. It would be just as important in an off-site or in a hybrid situation as it is when people are are on site and what they leveraged is is they leveraged their social network at the time uh, to be able to still hold their morning meetings still to still be in a place where people had a voice and they saw all of their peers and they had a chance to be able to interact in terms of competitions and contests that were such a big part of their culture when they were all on site together couldn't have been done without having the strong social network that they had in place. Mm, that's a very powerful story. I know that there are lots of different scenarios that, that we could work through just as part of this level set. Um, one, one more that I think is critical uh, without naming names is to really dig into this fear space where I still think there's a level of concern about employees having certain conversations. If you think about the moments when some of our social justice issues were very prominent in the press over the last few years, there was a resurgence in that fear factor around, you know, do we shut down those conversations? You know, how do we navigate them? Do we let those voices come out? Because the workplace should be a space of trust and inclusion. And, you know, I think one of the, the conversations that often comes back is that these conversations flow like water. If you don't give them a space to naturally pool together, water will find another way. So translate that into the ESN arena. You can have the internal channels where this conversation can play out with guidance, expert facilitation on the part of the employer 
Otherwise, the risk is that those conversations play out publicly where it's harder to create, whether it's a teachable moment, clarification of a corporate uh, point of view on something, or any number of other conversations that might otherwise uh, be allowed to you know, plant seeds and grow inside of the organization and set that culture tone that you were talking about. It is such an interesting and challenging topic right now, uh, because I think the I think the organizations that have managed it the best keep in mind three things. First thing is that is exactly what you said. You can choose to have those conversations and provide a space for them to occur internally, or they likely will occur externally. The second piece is is that even those internal conversations, it is important, as we've seen just from watching the media, that those internal conversations happen with as much uh, with as much care and authenticity as possible because even internal conversations can ultimately find themselves externally and in the press, right? Very true. So yes. how we react to things. Uh, has to be transparent, has to be consistent with who our values are and be fair. And then the third thing that I think the companies that are managing it best right now are doing is is that they're also balancing it with the fact that we are all here together to be able to do a job and to serve customers and serve the organization. And so there's got to be a balance as well between each of our of our workforces, you know, strongly held feelings and positions and the the tasks that we're all here to do. And those organizations that flex too strongly one way or the other tend to struggle. The ones who can find that balance uh, are the ones that seem to be thriving the best right now. Well, those are some really valuable call outs around those key tenants. And um, I I appreciate that you're able to call upon those things as part of this conversation. Another tricky one, Kevin, that I'd love to get your take on, um, the the Microsoft space comes to mind often because it, it is a force, right? We see a significant percentage of our members in this space, although um, there are some that are in you know the G Suite space um, and, and working best of breed versus uh, taking the sweet approach per se. So so forgive me while I use the Microsoft example, but certainly I see this as, as something that extends beyond platform. And the idea is that if you boil this down, there are some organizations that really did pivot around chat and collaboration, i.e. Microsoft Teams, during the pandemic. And they rolled that out very quickly in order to be able to enable large numbers of people to work from home. And so, you know, as the hybrid paradigm shifted, some were questioning why bother with enterprise social or enterprise conversations. Nowadays in the Microsoft space, that's a combination of Viva Engage and Yammer. Although, you know, it's it won't be long before we see that just converge into Engage, I think. Um, and so what's your best advice for those digital workplace teams that are being challenged still about why bother with ESN? Well, I think I think it's the the answer is deceptively simple, is that 
if there is one thing that we have learned over the last 10 or 15 years, it's that the employee, you have to approach the employee as a whole human being. And that whole human being has not just work needs and, and goals and objectives that they're trying to reach, but also has a need to be able to connect with other people within the organization on a on a deeper level. I think the I think the the best way that I can put it and I think most of the people that are listening will probably be able to resonate with this is that when you're working in an office there is a certain amount of work that happens in meetings and there's a certain amount of work that happens when you are alone at your workstation heads down. But Many times the grease that makes the project that you're working on, the effort that you're doing uh, actually hum and occur are those one-off meetings that you have with people that are informal. Um, it might be in, in, I'm going to call them the olden days, it might be when you're walking from meeting to meeting and you run into someone in a hallway, or it might be when you are have an opportunity to sit down and have lunch with someone or have a cup of coffee or just bump into them at, during the course of the day in a totally unexpected way. In today's environment, enterprise social network is what replaces that. You know, we may not have the opportunity as consistently. Uh, if you're in a hybrid work environment, you know, you might you might be only in the office three days a week, and it might not be the same day that you are, Nancy, if I'm trying to run into you. So I may not run into you uh, the way that I used to. The enterprise social network space is the space that we can use to be able to replace those chance meetings and enable that, that third leg of the stool to be able to really hum and really help us to make the best decisions with the fullest information and the perspectives of all the people that we need to, need to have. That is part of the road left to travel because I think, while, I think while we have a lot of the tools in place to do this, I think the positioning of those tools and our ability to use them is developing. And the the goal is to reach the place where, you know, we can still have those access, that access to those people we might not formally be in meetings with up and down the command chain that allow us to be able to come to our best decisions and do our best work. I think that's such an insightful comment because what I'm thinking about is the fact that there were groups of people who came into roles without the window of time to build relationships in person and start to create the social capital that you described. And so some employers over the last couple of years, whether it was when you had large groups of people who were remote or you know more recently in that mixed space of hybrid, and they didn't necessarily have the same ability to create their spheres of influence within their own orbits, uh, let alone build community cross divisional lines where you would have, you know, like-minded individuals working across finance or HR or, you know, name your function where people would be able to say, hey, we're working on the same thing. Why don't we 
join forces because the danger of a collaboration and chat platform is that it's based on what you initiate with a small group of individuals or some sort of you know high performance team that's coming together for a specific purpose but inherently that can be a very insular way to operate and you could have the same parallel conversation happening in multiple places and never connect those up. Sometimes there's a need to elevate the conversation to share what's happening beyond the, the individual team small T confines. And if I can build on that, you know, think about the mentoring opportunities as well. You know, those 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 same opportunities of people you not might not be working directly with a project on, but every organization is looking to develop uh, develop the next generation of leaders. And and to to be limited in that in the contact that you have with senior leadership, I think that is one thing that that most organizations can say has been showing positive steps forward within the last 12 to 18 months is just the accessibility of senior leadership uh, to the voice of the, of the workforce. And so those mentoring opportunities, that ability to knock down silos is one of the, I think, road yet to be traveled uh, opportunities that we have is to continue to build on that momentum. Mm-hmm. And are there any themes under that road yet to travel that we've missed, or, or we have have we picked them up? You know, I think the I think the uh, we've picked up most of them. I think to conversation that I had with one of the executives, I had an opportunity to speak with uh, Christy Litchford from Campbell's, uh, is that uh, is that you know our ability to be able to take the tools that we have and to be able to embed them into the way that we work at a deeper level. Um, we are doing some things very well right now, but there is a, a large amount of untapped potential uh, that these tools have for us to be able to, to continue to grow that. And the reality is that capabilities will evolve over time, whether it's in the form of integration into other spaces, as we've seen early days with Viva Engage, or um, you know wider capabilities that haven't even been conceived of and, and we can't anticipate, but we flex and grow and, again, go through that paradigm of warrior versus warrior to take a stance and, and then... Um, you know, move through the the change paradigm. I guess one of the things I'm really curious to explore with you a bit further is, I know we talked about some very interesting scenarios around the road yet to travel, but I wonder if, just based on your research and experience, if there are any call-outs that you can give relative to the more advanced players and what they're doing in this space and even how they're demonstrating impact, per se. Well, the, I think the you know, if you look at Southwest Airlines in 2021, they've leveraged Yammer really to provide real-time engagement and support to their users uh, and created systems where there are super users uh, using crowdsourcing in a lot of very, very interesting ways. Yeah, I was sitting in a meeting just this morning uh, where one of the, one of the uh, directors in another organization said, you know, we have 30,000 employees 
uh, and the ability to be able to access their points of view in a crowdsourced manner on some of the challenges that we're facing today is one of the things that has me most excited about digital workplace. And they they were in a place where they're just at uh, a midpoint in the journey. They're still developing. But even they can see what the power of being able to leverage the thoughts of 30,000 employees in a crowdsourced basis can do. And I think that's that's one of the things that we're seeing, starting to see more and more of is the ability to be able to leverage all of that knowledge that exists within a workforce. Mm. And if you had a crystal ball, Kevin, what do you think might be up next for enterprise social? And if you have a thought, uh, collaboration to go along with that, uh, just because often the two work very closely in tandem. Well, Nancy, we've been we've done done this three times now, so you know I always have a thought for what it's worth. <laughs> I'm gonna because this, you can pay me later, Kevin. Yep, what <laughs> this is a historical piece, right? So I'll start with kind of where we've been. You know, we went from static repositories of content um, into where we're entering today, which is dynamic two-way channels that enable multi-directional conversations and provide a less structured, less structured platform for collaboration, right? I think as we look, as we go forward, we're gonna see three things. I just uh, in general headlines, it's gonna grow in relevance. Um, we have needs within organizations operating in what uh, for some organizations is the same old, same old, for some very new, but this is going to grow in relevance, but it's going to stay organic. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, certain things about human beings is that they run like water. They're going to run to the place that they need to be. I think that this is the same way. It's going to stay organic. It's going to develop in ways that perhaps are unpredictable, but are always going to serve the needs of the people who are using them, the people behind the keyboards. As a result, our vendors, our, our providers are going to evolve. They're going to provide new tools that respond to those organic needs. Uh, I see it for fixing some of the awkward, right? We've all been in awkward online digital conversations. It's going to make it less awkward, better mobile integration. And we're going to start seeing AI introduced into the mix more. We're going to have AI co-workers, if you can put it that way, more into our lives going forward. You know, from the bots that we see within the community now, you may see more and more of that maybe in your meetings, when you're in the meetings into the future. Uh, so I, I remember how intimidating that first conversation in 2008 was. And it is a great time to be a warrior rather than a worrier in your news, your words, and embrace the power of the new. I would add one more thing, and it may be an offshoot of the AI side, because your list um, is a good one. And my thought is that there will be a level of digital coaching built into these spaces as they morph and grow. Some capabilities leading towards the leadership support needs and others towards, you know, employees at large. 
there are systems of nudges and prompts that are emerging. And those are precursors to coaching in my mind. Well said. Gosh, Kevin, what have we missed? Any final thoughts? I am I am struggling for final thoughts because this was such a rich and uh, and engaging conversation. Uh, the one thing that that I will say is that uh, I think that this period of time, from two thousand and eight to today, the introduction of enterprise social networks into our traditional intranets, really in a lot of ways, was was the bridge that organizations needed and technology providers needed between viewing uh, our online spaces as literally just file cabinets where we could find information to the digital workplace of today. Uh, so if you think about this period as being a bridge, you know, then looking forward, now we have a, a very broad and wide space of possibility to be able to move into next. And welcome to the digital headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Kevin, it's always such a treat to catch up with you. And I want to thank you for stepping away from uh, all of the great things that you have going on in and around DWG, working with our members and clients. And who knows when we'll catch up next. And I, I know that um, certainly if, if you come back to the research program soon, then we'll have our fourth session built in. But we may find some other creative things to chat about in between uh, in this studio once again. As always, Nancy, thank you for having me a part of this conversation. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.